Welcome to Living Well with Rentwell, the podcast for anybody who's thinking about getting into real estate, in real estate, and wants to take their game to the next level. I'm your co-host, TJ Hawk. And I am your co-host, Rob Coldwell. So welcome to another episode of Living Well with Rentwell. I'm one of your co-hosts, TJ Hawk, and with me today is Robert Richman. Uh, how are you, Robert? Doing great. Thanks, Good. TJ. Robert, I am so thrilled to have you on this show today. Um, everything. Uh, so you have a wonderful book out there called The Culture Blueprint. If you're listening to this and haven't read it yet, I highly recommend you read it. The book is, it really is a like a toolkit. It's like a mm-hmm. really a blueprint that, yes, absolutely read it all the way through. But then I feel like you could go back to any particular piece in the book and say, okay, you know what? I, I really could work on this in the company. Let me just- That's actually how I designed the book. It was specifically supposed to be more like a stereo manual where you're like, okay, this is broken. How do I fix this? Yes. And then put it back down. And it really surprised me that people read the whole book. And even a, a CEO took it home and said, yeah, my, my 16-year-old read most of your book last night uh, and, and, and loved it. And people talk about how it applies to family um, because I, I wrote it with that intention. You can, you can say, okay, I've got, I'm hiring a new person. What do I do in day one? Boom, I got you right there. And, um, but, but yeah, people really love the, the whole story behind it. The whole story. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for those of you who may not have heard of you? What's. Yeah, my name is Robert Richman. I'm a culture hacker. I like to think of myself as a hacker in the sense that culture is a network. It's a lot of people in a network and just like a, uh, uh, a computer network. And so I, after being at Zappos, I was culture strategist there. I ran a whole division, a whole company called Zappos Insights, where we took uh, the Zappos culture and shared it with other companies coming through, uh, all kinds of things around how to, to do recruiting, interviewing, hiring, managing, you name it, all the communication arts that we would share with, uh, with, with, with other companies. And I put that all into a book. I, I was really there because Tony invited me, the CEO, to, to run this. And I really didn't think I had a book in me. But one day I just realized I had 300 pages of notes of noticing what the best companies did. Because the, the quote I like to reference with this is that is Leo Tolstoy, who said, um, all happy families are alike, but all unhappy families are completely different in their miseries. And that's what I noticed. Every company had very unique problems. But what worked was constantly the same because people are people. And I took all those and I really put them into this book, The Culture Blueprint, uh, The High Performance Workplace. So what is culture hack? Because you mentioned that a couple of times. Yeah, I, this is, yeah, this is where I came up with it. I, so many companies would come through, everybody from a college entrepreneur to soup kitchens to Procter & Gamble and Coca-Cola, and they would always leave a little overwhelmed saying, oh my God, culture's everything. It's hiring, it's interviewing, it's innovation, it's leadership, all those things. Where the heck do I start? And then it hit me that if, if culture's a network, like a computer network, then how do you change a network? And I realized it's not the network designer. It's not the, the IT person. The person who changes a computer network the fastest is a hacker. And they don't even, they're not even authorized because sometimes people say, you know what, I'm not the CEO. How do I create a culture change? Well, a hacker, it literally doesn't have the authority to be there on the network, yet they get in, make a huge change. And so I thought, what if we could apply that to culture? And I realized that if you think about it, what what does a hacker do? A hacker looks for a vulnerability in the system. A vulnerability I define in culture as a place where it could really go off the rails. So for example, um, the interview. 
that that is a very very vulnerable place in culture because you could bring somebody in who's amazing for your company who who solves all these problems makes your life easy or that person could look really good on on paper and in the interview and then you let them in and they do something horrible maybe even gross negligence or harassment or something and it it could it could literally tank your company so that's why you find vulnerable moments like that within culture and you say okay how do I hack it? So the same way that Thomas Edison would hack light bulbs by trying this, no, it didn't work. Trying mm. this, no, it didn't work. You try these different kind of things, these culture hacks to experiment with. So for example, at Zappos, one of the things we did was said, okay, if people can have a lot of customer service experience, but might not be great at, at service, what's a question to ask to determine if they're really going to be good at service? And so to figure that out, one of the questions is, tell me about a time when you help somebody out when you didn't have to. Because then you can tell if somebody loves to be of service. If they love to be, you can hire them for the role. It's not about the experience. So that's what I mean about hacking is find vulnerable moments, moments of frustration, moments where it can go off the rails. Um, there's, there's things like first-time uh, conversation with an employee. That's a, a vulnerable moment. And in each of these, if you think like a hacker and think, okay, how can I engineer this moment, this experience to get what I want, then it has a huge impact because that's what a hack is as well, is it finds a vulnerable moment, but it also is uses a high leverage tool. What does high leverage mean? It means very, very little input, very, very little investment, but huge output. So we can even talk more about those questions in the interview because that's a tiny, tiny input. You just change a little question here and there, and it radically changes the vector of the, his, of the future of your company because you'll get the right person in there. That's fascinating. How, how do you find honest feedback on culture, right? Because I've seen to your point of like finding the vulnerability, mm -hmm. there's surveys, there's, and we've probably done it all, but I'm not sure we're really getting real feedback. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, of course. I've, I've only, I've only found one that really, really works well because what happens with feedback again, great, great call because it's a vulnerable moment. Why? Because how do you know somebody's telling you the truth right. and how do you know it's going to be acted upon? Those are two vulnerable aspects of it, right? So the way to, to hack that I found is one is, is direct eye to eye feedback. That's very vulnerable for everybody. So let's increase the vulnerability because when you do the 360 or do the survey monkey, it can just lay in there and you're like, you know what? I'm not going to pay attention to it. But if somebody gives you an honest piece of feedback to your eyes, you're suddenly on the hook and accountable because they know that you know that they know that you know. <laughs> um, and then the question, I believe this was created by Robert Cialdini who said um, that the question that you ask to create safety, because that's what you're really doing, because they don't feel safe to tell you the truth because they think they might be fired or, or punished in some other way. And you ask them um, this particular question. You say, would you please tell me what you think I don't want to hear? Ooh, would you like please that. tell me what you think I don't want to hear? And now you've suddenly authorized them to go where they wouldn't go before. And that's when you get the truth. That's a, that's a fantastic question. Mm -hmm. And what's going through my mind if, if I'm being vulnerable, right? We've done the Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team and, yeah. and ours came back as trust. And so as a business owner and, and really for the others listening to this as well, I'm, I'm you know, probably a lot of them are in the same boat. It's like, wow. Okay. Well, where do you start? You know, if, if that's the, if trust is the biggest vulnerability right now, and maybe they're not feeling safe or I, I don't know why it's that, where do you start? Yeah. Like, trust like, is such an interesting word because one, you, you notice it only really comes up when there's not trust there. Um, 
like like so for example i i totally inherently trust my my girlfriend margo right but i don't talk to everybody saying i i trust her so much right it's just there i don't need to talk about it. but when it's not there that's when the word comes up so first if the word trust is coming up that's a flag because it means there's an issue there but then second this is kind of a magic trick i learned when i was at georgetown's leadership coaching school which is watch this i'll do it with you and it's it's cool because it's both vulnerable and not at the same time it's kind of like when you do a card trick and and somebody's thinking about the card right so i'm going to ask you to think about something and i'm going to see if i nailed what you're thinking about okay ready for it i'm ready okay so think of a moment when when trust broke down when you lost trust it can be it doesn't have to be with this company it can be another company right where you're like Oh, I just lost trust there. So don't even tell me it. So my bet would be that only it could be only one of two things that happened. And they're actually both kind of the same thing, which is one, somebody said they would do something and they didn't do it. Uh-huh. Or they didn't necessarily say specifically they would do it, but you had the expectation and they didn't do it. Was it one of those two? It was the first one. Yeah, right. So how how am I able to do that magic trick? Because this is what this is what I was saying earlier in our pre call about um, what culture is really based on, which is agreements. If you think about it, what what is what is what is a contract? What is a job description? You are saying I agree to do this. You agree to pay me this. Like all of business runs on agreements, and. If those are clear, um, A, they have to be clear because the second case, if somebody didn't articulate it, um, it's not really clear. But if it's clear and it's broken down, then the culture breaks down. So it took me 10 years to realize like, oh, there's so many words around culture. And I, I deal with them, values and beliefs and behaviors and KPIs and all these things like that. But at the core, the, the currency running through that network is agreements. It's agreements. I'd love if you could talk a little bit more about agreements because in the in the it may have been in the book or on a a YouTube video I had watched you had talked about agreements versus demands and that just resonated so much with me and you had used a restaurant as an example I think to easily show what the difference is between the two could you share a little bit about that Yeah the restaurant is is a, a Cialdini uh reference and then I'll get I'll make it a little more corporate but the basic idea with the with the restaurant reference is that they tested this idea out that, you know, when you call in for a reservation, we'll say, Hey, TJ, we got you down for a table of four at seven 30 us If anything changes, you say, great. Right. And then you don't call. And the subtlety there is that it was a command and you never really agreed to it. You're like, I, I didn't really agree. That's what subconsciously is going on in the mind. But when they changed the language, cause culture exists in language and they changed it to, Hey, TJ, we got you down for a table of four at seven 30. Would you please call us if there are any changes? So now there's not a command. There's an invitation. And now I'm waiting for an answer. I'm waiting and you say, yes. I could, great, thank you. And in that test, the calls went up by 80%. Why? Because there was an invitation to opt in and then a confirmation. And now you suddenly have to be in alignment with you because you weren't commanded to do something. So the way this applies to corporate is I'll, 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 I'll find a trust example and somebody will tell me and I'll say, tell me the exact language you said. And they said, um, they said, could you get me this in two weeks? Right. So it's kind of an invitation. It's asking about a capability. It's not would you, it's could you. So that's on the fence there. But then the guy responded. I said, what did he respond with? He said, that should work. Now that, as we all know, is not actual agreement. 
when you say I should be there by four, you're not agreeing. You're by no means promising to be there by four. You're saying, eh, should everything work out in my favor and I get my stuff done on time and traffic's fine, all this stuff, I should be there by four. That's not true agreement. So that's why it's simple engineering, hacking of the language and culture to an invitation with a clear opt-in. And mind you, there has to be safety too. Because if I, if you're working for me and I say, hey, TJ, um, would you please get me these graphics in, in two weeks? And you say, uh, yeah. Then I go, hold on, TJ, you sound a little shaky on that. Let's talk. Tell me what's going on. And you say, well, I don't know if I'm going to get this image from John. And I said, okay, well, let's just assume that John gets you it by tomorrow. If I can get that by tomorrow, will you have this to me in two weeks? And you go, yeah. And that's how we workshop it if there's hesitation. But people need to be able to free to, to say maybe or even say no, where you say no. And I say, hold on, I, I got to see your, your, your to-do list because if you, if you don't have time for this, I want to see what else you're working on. And then we workshop it and we say, okay, we'll take this off. I don't really even need you to do that anymore. Can you take that off? And you're like, great. And then that's how it becomes true agreement. I love that idea so much because in fact, this is a, such a timely conversation. Uh, earlier in the week, my business partner and I were together. We had the leadership team. And part of the conversation that came up is I was sharing some stuff that's going on. So what am I missing? It seems like uh, for, for multiple different conversations I'm in, I thought we had an agreement that so-and-so would be done by a certain timeline or day or... And it seems like most of the time they're getting missed. And it could be, you know, with 40 people in the company, it could be across the company. So I, it must be on me. What, what am I doing wrong? How, and so this idea of the agreement versus a demand, instead of saying, you know, I need this by Friday or just spend five hours on it. And then kind of walking away from the conversation and not really making sure we have an agreed, have their buy-in, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I love that because it also plays with specificity, as we talked about in Clarity in the beginning, right? Because you can say what uh, – there are certain terms I use now with companies. One is is DOD, definition of done. Like how will, how will I know it's done? Is this a full done PowerPoint? Is it an outline? What is it? What are, are we agreeing even to the definition of done? Love that. And once we go to that, SOS, standard of success – what makes this great? It, what would make a, a crappy PowerPoint versus a good one? Tell me that. And you're like, well, I don't want a lot of words. I don't want, I just want some images. I want to make sure it's less than 10 slides. Okay, got it. Now we're way closer to getting you what you want, right? And then um, MTM is measures that matter. Is there a certain measurement you want? Is there, are we going for it? Is there some type of goal with that? Um, what level of feedback? Do you want? Do you want me to show you every week what I'm working on? Do you want me to just deliver it? Do you want me to just send it to the client without you even seeing it? What level are you involved in this deliverable? Right. So these are all layers of clarity that are often are not specified. Yeah. And without clarity, then you get disappointment. Yes. And I even I had heard before like expectation, right? If your expectation, it's that gap between what actually happened and expectation. And did you even communicate what the expectation was or was it just, you kept it in your head and no. So, okay. You, um, oh God, I have so many questions <laughs> go for it. Where, to, <laughs> where to go from here. The, uh, in the book, you also had rec. So I, I have a question around kind of like future of culture, but maybe we can come back to that. Sure. Right. And 
in the book, you had also talked about some habits of highly successful people. And as we're talking through this, it's making me think of highly successful people have some of these habits, right? The idea of the definition of done and the standard of, or what was the ex standard, standard of, of success. Yeah. yeah. Are there any other kind of pointers or things that you've learned that successful people who have maybe built or sustained good cultures, what some of those traits are, or maybe the, the habits are? Absolutely. Um, the best leaders I've seen uh, constantly have a few things uh, behind them. One on this theme is delegation. They're some of the best delegators ever. I remember working with Tony and I saw one time through the later years that he had a to-do list. I'm like, wait, what? A to-do list? No. And I found out, oh, they're not managing, they're managing his delegations. So he can remember what he delegated to you. So he could remember what he delegated to me, right? So these great leaders, I, I heard the quote once that, that millionaires think in terms of what and how, and billionaires think in terms of who. They're like, who's going to do this? Not how am I going to do this? Because how I, I, you're the expert, TJ, you figure out how. I don't even want to figure out how. I just know that I hired you. You're the best. You do this. So the best leaders I've seen are constantly thinking about who. And it's not even, you don't even need to be a billionaire. I mean, it blows my mind how many things you can do on Fiverr. If, oh, you yes. know, that, that site, you just think, like, do I really have to do this myself? Um, so that's one is they're, they're amazing, amazing delegators. Um, they're also incredible listeners. What blew me away also working with Tony was that there would be a meeting and he would just listen and listen and listen and listen. And then at the end, just have this amazing idea and mic drop moment because the best re leaders realize that, that once they start talking, everybody else shuts up. So even though they want to talk, they just hold their tongue, listen, 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 safety, 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 listen, 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 got it all. Okay. Now I can see the battleground, et cetera. This is what I think. Here's my idea. Go. Go. Um, so absolutely incredible listeners, absolutely incredible delegators. And um, the, the last I'd say is, um, uh, is, is really decision-making. At the end of the day, that's what they're really held to account to the board, to anybody else, is to say, you know what? We are doing this. This is the direction we're going. And what I've seen the best ones do is they actually choose. I, I'm not going to name the company because it's a high-level company and I don't want to publicly embarrass them. But I was talking to their VPs, and they had uh, 10, 10 values, 10 leadership principles, 10 priorities. And I decided to take all these different ones and put them on one screen to show them all. And the entire audience of VPs cracks up laughing because they all get it. Who, how, how are we expected to do all these 30 things at once? You're not right. So, you know, the, the, the best leaders actually don't put 10 priorities down. They say this year, this is our number one priority. Everything goes through this. Right. So they're, they're incredible deciders. All right. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's what do they say? That's you, you can't do more than I'm going to botch this up, but maybe three things at a time, like for, for quarterly rocks or annual initiatives, you know, a lot of company, Oh, we'll get these seven, 10, 15 things we're going to get done this year. And all the research says, if you have more than three, chances are you're not going to get them to them. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 really difficult because there's so many options, there's so many choices, there's so much we want to do, and it's it's painful to make decisions because you by by definition you cut off opportunities. And I think one of the quotes I love is Steve Jobs said he's he he's he 
he's as in love with all the, the products that they did not launch as much as the ones that they did because they were great. They chose, they had a lot of things they didn't launch and that he loved, uh, but they had to make decisions. That's great. Can you share with us, you had mentioned the 99% rule to stop annoying your employees. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to actually be vulnerable myself and be, uh, in saying, I don't fully remember that one. Can you trigger my memory on that? And then I'll speak to it. You know, honestly, I'd have to go back and read it as well. A while ago, I wrote down the note. Um, this is the great thing about this not being live. I can oh, take well, we can, we can, we can do that. I, I believe it's, 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 um, well, I, I believe it's this. So I think we can just go with it is that it definitely applies is that what, what, um, what, what a lot of companies do is they'll think about the 1% instead of the 99%. What does that mean? 1% of customers, 1% of bad employees, et cetera, will, will, they'll try to protect against that. So for example, the way that we, that we had this at, at Zappos was um, only one or 2% of companies would abuse the return policy. So rather than, you know, you, you like hold everybody accountable that, that you couldn't have worn the shoes. We show no, like TJ, you know, we see you wore the shoes. Hey, it's okay. Um, we usually don't allow this. We'll allow the exception. And we, we, we give you the new shoes, even though you broke the policy. Right. And you're like, oh my God, thank you so much. And we're like, that's great. Why? Because there's such a tiny percent of people who do that, that it's worth it. And so the phrase that Zappos was, was literally called, it's not your money. Because people would say, no, I'm not giving TJ new shoes. He definitely used this. Looks like he played soccer with these shoes. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take these and return these. And we'd say literally, no, it's not your money. It's the company's money. Give him the new shoes because this is about the bigger brand. So that's, that's really about how do, you, how do you have a policy that helps 99% of people and know that 1% you know, are, are going to break it, like literally break it, and that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Culture. There's a lot of shifts going on right now. Yeah. Right. And uh, I'll be honest, I used to think the word culture, the idea of culture is this touchy, feely, fluffy, kumbaya, everybody, you know, gets along. <laughs> Clearly, culture is so much more than that. And I'm learning a lot, you know, over the last two years. And um, just as we were, I would say, building a good culture and removing some silos in the organization, COVID hit, we went remote, nobody's really seeing each other anymore. And we're still mostly remote to today, mm -hmm. what kind of shifts are you seeing in culture as companies are going remote and or the hybrid model and any thoughts you would like? Yeah, to it's, it's really, I, I love metaphors because metaphors, you can quickly understand something without a lot of explanation. And the metaphor I think that's happening right now is imagine, you know, all the world's a stage, we're all actors, right? And imagine we've been doing theater for a really long time. And then suddenly I say, TJ, you get to come out to Hollywood and do movies. And you're like, great, I'm an actor. I love this, right? Yes, but <laughs> you've been used to having all the energy of a live audience. You've been used to playing this, the, 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 the scenes from beginning to middle to end. You're used to all this, like all these things. And now you're going to have no audience. You're going to have to shoot things out of sync. You might have to shoot several, 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 right? It's a different skill set. Yes, you're a great actor, but that doesn't mean you can just do movies and think that it's going to be easy. 
So I think the metaphor is we've gone from theater in person, you know, like you're in person. It's, it's, it's a nicer meeting. You've got all this sensory input. You've got the coffee, you've got the bagels, you're, you're laughing together. Right. And now you suddenly go on to zoom. It's like you went from the theater to the cinema. And the interesting thing about going from theater to cinema is that, I mean, imagine, imagine any play you saw and imagine if there was a camera in the back and you had to watch that at home on a small screen. Like it, it, it just would not be as good. And, but that's what leaders and, and managers are thinking. I can just put a camera on and do exactly what I did in a conference room. And it's, it's not. Um, and so the, the differences are, well, oh, let me ask you, let me just turn it back on you to make it a little fun. Like what, knowing that analogy and that metaphor, what do you think would have to be different? Great question. <laughs> What I can say is more of a challenge is keeping their attention. So exactly. You know, if we, okay, I did it. I got it right. <laughs> but yeah, if you're especially one on one's a kind of one aspect, but man, with our group meetings or our team meetings, or it's like, how do you keep people engaged? You know, and and check an email or their phone, or maybe the, their screen is off for whatever reason, and you can't get them to turn mm -hmm. it on. And then, yeah. So um, I like to get people to think about them. And, and to me, the hacks, I can save people a lot of time with experimenting, which is, you know, it's, it's not even cinema. I should say it's more like TV, because in the cinema, you're still held with attention. But with the TV, you've got your phone there, you've got social media, you've got all these other things. So the way I tell people to do it differently is one, Movies go, shows go faster. Do it. Do that hour meeting in 20 minutes if you can. How do we go faster, faster, faster? Everybody wants to, to go faster. And then how do we have things like a, a, a scoreboard? Like I like to have a Kanban board and literally show people um, the tasks. That Prezi plugin I talked to you about can do that. Or you can literally do it just on a, a sticky notes behind you. But you want to have a scoreboard for the meeting. The scoreboard is can we get all these sticky notes across the, the line to finished? by the time this visual timer like this goes down. So let's say we're in a meeting and I have this behind me. I have this down here. Go check that out. Yeah. And I've got either on screen, like on Trello or behind me and I've got the cards and I'm like, all right, TJ, you on your A game? We got to get eight cards down, 30 minutes. First item, go. Right? Suddenly you're like, oh, okay. It's like the shot clock's going down. And now we're all on a basketball team together saying, hey, can we get all these eight done in 30 minutes? And now we're on a team sport. I love that. For anybody listening to the, to the show, um, so Robert held up a, a cool little timer that I guess you could put behind you. And it mm -hmm. kind of has the red section of the timer. It, it's a, a clock, right? The analog clock. And yeah you can see the red as it's counting down. I, I love that, especially where, so we run the EOS model and when we mm. go through our L10 every week, it's, it's a challenge to keep on time for the certain segments. I like the idea of having that behind you to, it's a great visual representation. Yeah. It's also what I call a, a pattern interrupt. So pattern interrupts are things that really get attention because you just don't see it coming. Right. So that's why when I, it's, it's called the time timer. When I put this up, it's a pattern interrupt. Like you're like, whoa, you used to lose track of time and now you're there. Another pattern interrupt, I actually learned this from Dan Mezik as well, is this. Um, you try this rather than slides, because everybody just goes to sleep with all the slides, right? You literally like do this. You take a, any kind of card, like a three by five card and just put it up 
with whatever writing or drawing or anything you want and go like that and put it up analog, right? Because people are like, it, it's, this is, this is the analogy I use for it. I call it the Sesame street analogy because what happened with Sesame street was they did some market testing and they found that when kids were playing with kids and adults, they're like, okay, the kids like it. And then they had, had puppets and puppets together. And the kids were like, yeah, I like it. It's okay. And then what they did was they put the humans with the puppets and the kids were like, glued to the screen they couldn't take their eyes off of it and so that's why i think when you combine just like people with puppets if you combine analog and digital and have that kind of pattern interrupt rather than just doing either only camera or only slides you do these kind of combinations um then it it is a pattern interrupt and people pay more attention that's pretty cool yeah that's neat thank you for sharing that yeah well robert we really appreciate your time we're near the end of our show here uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? And then- yeah, it, talking about time, this is one of the number one hacks I found. Again, something I learned from Tony was noticing how in 10 years that I knew him, he was never, ever late to anything, ever. Impressive. I mean, this guy's meeting with Jeff Bezos. He never said, hey, Jeff Bezos held me late. And I realized that there's so much power in this because Nobody ever controlled him. Traffic didn't control him. Jeff Bezos didn't control him. He had so much power and people could feel that around Mm -hmm. him. And um, he got so much respect out of that as well. And what I'll say to leaders is I'll say, look, don't believe me. Just try it out for two weeks. Don't even require other people to do it. Just show up literally early to everything for two weeks and notice how much better your life starts to work because you're not trying to push everything in there. You're not trying to bend reality to your own demands. Oh, if I can just squeeze this in, oh, I'll be five minutes late, right? You're trying to bend reality because time is our shared reality. We can all agree on on time, but one minute later is, 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 is late. There was a comedian who was saying that we on time people hate you late people because um, you've, got, you've got hours to be early, but like you've got a, like a minute and you're late, right? So like, why don't you just give a little more time? And you stress less, you have more interesting conversations, you might meet somebody you never met, uh, all kinds of, of things can happen that way. So I, I think that one of the highest leverage things you can do is always be earlier on time and then um, notice how it improves it, things for you and then experiment with the rest of the company doing it. Because I think that, you know, the coach Dan Sullivan said all change starts with uh, like knowing reality and accepting reality. And the reality is there are very few things in culture that we can agree on. Very few. We might disagree on everything about even the vision. I might be like, I have a different idea of the vision than you do, but nobody can disagree with the time. So to me, it's, it's a central alignment point because we can at least all agree on one key fact. Plus, I think it says a lot about showing respect for the individuals that you're showing up for that they you value their time by being early or on time and not late because i think when you're late to something it in some way subliminally sends a almost a disrespect message that oh yeah i i work with a guy also named oren cloth he wrote a great book uh, called pitch anything and he's all about frame control of uh, how you control the frame of a conversation because that 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 determines how it goes forward. So what he was saying is that you know these investors that he advises they they're they they feel like they're not in a power position because they're groveling for money. But he said you have to take the power back. So one of the things he'll do is he'll, he'll say it's scary to try these, but try this out. They come it's a ten o'clock meeting. They're late. 
it's 10:15. When they roll in, you say, "Oh, good. I see you're here for the 10:15 meeting." And he's it's so scary. You're going to do that to somebody you're trying to ask money for? And he said, "But no, you see them go, "Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. My kids ball practice was blah 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 and now you're suddenly got the power Ooh, I like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would take uh some cojones i think you depending on the size of the audience or whoever the meeting is with to say something like that but i also i think that's important it's being on time is a, a pet peeve of mine that's i that's and just to wrap this all the way down to the beginning is um agreements, right? Because we learned at Zappos, part of the training was you had to show up at 7am for four weeks straight, or you're cut from the company. So that agreement was set very, very early on very the day one, we say, TJ, if you're show up three minutes late, two minutes late on any day during this training, you're fired. And do you still want to come work? Okay, great. And that's a time standard that is now established. And so that's what I would recommend leaders do is do you have a standard around time? Um, because if you don't, then it's politics, it's it's personalities, it's preferences, it's power dynamics that are running the show. But if everybody can, you know, remember those old spy movies where they're like, let's synchronize our watches, let's get everybody right. synced up, right? That's literally aligned and synced up. Then you you got powerful teams. Well, Robert, this has been great. Thank you so much for for sharing. Uh, if how does the listeners how do they find you? Connect with you? Yeah, robertrichmond.com is the best way. Um, my uh, the, the 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 book is there. Uh, if you go to robertrichmond.com/slash/audiobook, you can listen to the whole book for free there. The print is on is on Amazon. Um, so I've got videos, etc. So robertrichmond.com. Well, thank you so much, Robert. We really truly do appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Living Well with Rentwell. We hope you loved that episode. Please be sure to head over to our website at rentwell.com backslash vision. We're giving away our free program called Vision Through Purposeful Action. If you're a busy person, if you struggle with finding the time and priorities, or if you're experiencing procrastination and overwhelm, this free course will help you with that. We wish you a blessed day. Thank you for tuning in and check in later.